little bit of what's happening with that. And uh, just to encourage you guys, don't be careful because I see a lot of people online picking on it for some bizarre reasons. God's doing something. Let God do something. Let God be in charge of that. We're, we're not the judges, okay? Um, I, I even saw where somebody was upset because they were using the wrong translation of the Bible or the version of the Bible or something. I didn't even finish. I don't know what it was. I didn't finish the article. I didn't care at that point. Um, that's so petty. And so um, let's pray for those people. Let's pray that God does the same thing here. The, uh, the, the great thing about this, and this is, this, is a, this is what we should be praying. Because sometimes these things happen and then they kind of stop eventually. I mean, everything stops eventually. stops eventually, but, but there's not like the, the scriptural thing that says, um, and souls are being added to the, to the church every single day. Not their church, not their location, not their setting, although those are okay things too. But the kingdom of God has grown by a soul that was not a Christian and is now a Christian. And that's, that should be the result of these kind of things. And so let's, we should be praying that. If you're going to pray something, pray that. So I know that uh, many of you have probably seen this pop up in the news. Um, I, I'll, I'll look at it just a little bit here. But really, I would strongly suggest you go to the news reports and look at this. You need to, to see what's going on with this. Um, I've been saying, many people like me have been saying for, for quite a few years, not just the last couple years, but it's been very obvious the last couple years, that our elections are broken, that they are wrought with corruption and fraud. And uh, now Fox News has come out with this big filing that shows that all of the um, executives at Dominion voting machines knew this was happening, knew it from the very beginning, and actually knew which races were being affected and how they were being affected. Uh, so go educate yourself on that kind of stuff. Um, and also kind of keep in mind, Dominion Voting Machines started right here in Colorado. Okay, we were the first state to have this happen. And um, this is not coincidence, I do not have time to break this down, but one of our mayoral candidates here in Colorado Springs is actually the person when he was Secretary of State that brought the Dominion Voting Machines to Colorado. And he still is an extremely highly paid consultant for Dominion Voting Machines. And he's running for mayor. What did I say? Oh, yes, yes, run, yes. Same thing, but yes, that's true. So uh, just keep that in mind when you're processing. Go, to, go and do your homework. Go do your homework on this stuff, guys, because our elections are, are very, very broken, very broken. Um, so let me bring you up to speed as to some stuff that's going on. There's so much that happens every week. There's no way I could tell you even a tenth of it. But this is, I'm going to focus in on, on the part that I had uh, in, in uh, legislation this week. Um, now, now, the way that this works is it go, you go back to even before session starts. You're working on your bills. You're doing all this stuff. You have lawyers and stuff in the Capitol. You submit it to them. They work on all your bills, make sure legally they work, all these kind of things. And then you have your bill that's finished. And then somebody chooses a time when it goes um, before a committee, some committee. Right? So I had two different bills. I had two different um, anti-abortion bills. And, um, and, and then there's another, Representative Luck, Stephanie Luck also had another uh, bill. I'll tell you quickly about all three in a second. But they put them all on the same day. That was Friday. And they do this on purpose. They say it so they can let all the people that want to testify be able to be there on the same day. That's not the reason. It's because they want to kill your bill. They want to squash it. And they can do that easier in one day with this kind of thing. Okay. Um, I, I argued out my abortion bill. And basically, I was just trying to say we've got to come back to this subject and say killing babies is wrong. And, and I pleaded with them. I talked for a, a while. And I pleaded with them, please don't kill our babies. I'm not on that committee, so I didn't get questions and stuff. But I, I pleaded with them, please don't kill our babies. I had asked to be on that committee because one of the Republicans could not be on the committee, so I asked if I could. And our Republican leadership made sure that I was not on that committee so I could ask no questions. Um, our, in fact, the Republican leadership worked against the bill and against me during the presentations of the bill in a, in a lot of ways that I could explain, but some of you wouldn't understand unless you're in the machine. Um, I, I begged them for three hours, a hundred and something people testified, tried to get people to see, let, stop killing our babies. And they, 
didn't say hard. Well, they didn't really say the Democrats didn't really say anything. At the end of it, just voted, uh, no, we don't like this bill. So the next bill that I had was um, just trying to get, trying to make it mandatory for places like Planned Parenthood to educate women, mothers, that if they take the abortion pill, you take the pill, 24 to 48 hours later, you come back and take a second pill, and that finishes the job. The baby doesn't necessarily die with the first pill. Planned Parenthood tells everybody the baby dies with the first pill. The second pill is just like a little precaution thing that they do to, for the health of the mother. It's on their website. You can go find it. The baby, we, we, we presented over 700 children that their mothers changed their mind after the first pill, and they are alive today. We presented over 700 children. I did. Then other people got up and for two or three hours testified about their child is alive because she changed her mind after the first pill. It's called the abortion pill reversal. And then you can actually take a lot of progesterone and you can um, save the life of the baby. All I wanted to do in the bill is just make sure the mothers were aware of this because nobody was telling them. In fact, Planned Parenthood tells them this is not possible. It doesn't happen. There's no recorded cases of it happening. I gave them 700 people, babies, that are alive because of this and then many, many more testimonies. And they, one, one of the representatives actually got very angry at me and said that I'm lying to the people of Colorado and I'm, and I'm faking all this stuff and I'm faking all of this stats and stuff because I'm trying to hurt women somehow. And they voted that bill down. And here's the one that just, it gets me. I, Representative Luck presented a bill that since we are going to abort our babies anyway and nobody will pay attention to the baby, can we at least give the baby an anesthesia before we rip its arms off, crush its skull, and rip its legs off? And they were irritated that Representative Luck would even bring this up. Guys, there is a lot of demonic evil sitting in that, in the, in that house. They, they wouldn't even let the baby not have pain. And so don't tell me it's about choice. Don't tell me it's about mothers. This is about murdering babies. It's a bloodlust for murdering babies. So I get all of the, um, I get a lot of, people support me like crazy on this. I mean, I was getting hundreds of emails, messages, all kinds of stuff while I'm, while I'm testifying and doing all this stuff. And I appreciate that, and I don't want it to go away. I want people to, to say that stuff, because it does help. You know, when you're sitting there and you're the only one, nobody would even be on the bill with me and everything. You know, it is nice, but at the end of the day, guys, babies are still dying. Babies are still dying. People like me are standing up, but babies are still dying. And so pray. Just pray. Just continue to pray. All right, I'm going to switch gears and go into the message. Just wanted to get us all in a good mood before. Um, <clears throat> before we looked at this, this this uh, this subject that I want to look at this morning is actually I've been looking forward to this actually before I started the whole series, but you can't do this one first because this one rests upon all the others. Okay, the uh, once once we have all these understood, prayer, be uh, people of. Holiness, uh, be people of the word, be people of uh, financial obedience. Once you build these foundations, then you can come back and, and this subject, and I'm going to look at worship this morning. Worship becomes a very viable, understandable thing because it's built upon all this stuff. And so I want to try to address some of the concepts of worship and how we look at worship and some of the things going on because we really have limited worship, very, very, um, very, very limited in today's um, kind of Western church, the way we look at worship. And, uh, and, and it's, not, it's, it's not necessarily bad, but because it's so limited, there's so much that's missing that I think it actually hinders the church and has hindered the church. And I could spend messages just on that part, but I won't this morning. But just ask yourself, what is worship? How do you, what do you think worship is? How do you think about worship? What, when you hear that word, what does that mean to you? What does that sound like? And um, What is worship? So... Singing, music, raising your hands, clapping, all that stuff, is that worship? Um, can be part of worship. 
probably should be part of worship. If you're a demonstrative person, it should be part of worship. I've had some people that, that kind of pick on others. Well, you don't clap during worship. Well, maybe they're not a clapper. Maybe that's not who they are. Well, you don't jump up and down during worship. I'm probably not ever going to jump up and down during worship in front of you. I do it by myself. I actually dance during worship often when I'm by myself. But you don't want to see that. <laughs> right? These, these things are for public worship, too. By the way, if you're saying, yeah, it should never be part. Yeah, they are. They were part in the Bible. Over and over and over, these things were part of public worship in the Bible. But I'm asking you, what do you think worship is? Now, I, I'm old enough to go back far enough to, to help you understand. For some of you that are younger, some of this won't make sense. But I actually am old enough to be part of the church that only had songbooks. Right? And, uh, and we didn't really call it worship. In fact, I didn't hear that or see that context of what we would consider worship today until I got to college. But we sang songs. In fact, we had song services and we had song leaders. They, they weren't worship leaders. Um, they were song leaders. And this is the way it worked. For some of you that are younger, you're going to like, this is not what happened. This is the way we did it, okay? The song leader would get up. He didn't have a plan. There was, nobody had said, hey, put some songs together. He didn't know... The piano players, the musicians, and a lot of churches back in those days, you just had a piano player, which made it easier. But when you start adding other musicians, this gets a little crazy. But the song leader would get up and say, okay, what are we going to sing this morning? And somebody would stand and say, um, page 144. And everybody would turn in their books to 144. And then the piano player would start it, and then we'd start singing it. And then when it was over, we stopped. And song leader would say, what else are we going to sing? Okay? For some of you guys that are older, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't look at me like, I've never, yes, you, if you were older, you were part of this. Okay? And sometimes that didn't go well, right? Just musically didn't go well. Um, I, I can remember, I can remember a lot of page numbers of songs to this day. In fact, every single Sunday night, when, when I was about five, six, seven years old, my brother would always request the exact same song every single week. Page 144, We Shall See the King. And, and that became one of my favorite songs because I, I don't think I had a choice emotionally. Every week. And the, and the song leader would say, do we have any songs, my brother? Every single week. But we all learned that song, you know. Um, and some of you right now, you can name... Page numbers, right? You know what I'm talking about. So this is the way I grew up. This is what, um, what we now would call worship. I would never have called it worship back in those days, although I'm not picking on I'm not saying it was bad. What I'm saying is the concept of us just getting before the Lord and worshiping um, was not really in that context from, from my experience. I didn't see that a lot. Now, I saw people worship, but it was different. It was like in the altars during prayer time after service wasn't during the song service kind of stuff, because it wasn't a worship service, it was a song service. Okay? The, um, the expression of being able to worship and connect with God. I, I remember when we first started putting, using overheads. Some of you guys don't even know what overheads are, but started putting, and there was so much anger, so much anger in the church. We're not going to sing our words off the wall. I mean, you guys are laughing, but if, you, if you're old enough, you remember people would be ready to go to blows over that. I am not exaggerating that. We're not singing our songs off the wall. And, and I thought that was kind of cool because we could all follow easier, right? And then, then we started using, and the worship began to change. We started having more what we would call uh, courses. And then... Um, then we started using these projectors and stuff. And that's really for me because I'm twice as old as that technology. Uh, that still seems new to me <laughs> that we use, that we do this. Uh, that, that's, every now and then I'm like, wow, that's cool. Because I don't ever look back and see this. I don't know what, who does it. I know who does it, but I don't know what they do. So every now and then in service, I'm like, wow, that looks good. But I, I didn't have that for years, for years and years and years. What does it mean to get together and to worship? And here's the thing. Do we need to get together to do that? 
There is scriptural context for that. But is that what worship is? So I want to take us to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to show you something that you probably have never thought about or seen. You just, you just read right by this sentence, and you just move on. Now, I've seen commentaries about it and everything, but, but I want to show you something I, I think, I just want you to think about differently that I don't see in commentaries and stuff. But this is, this, say we have Adam and Eve in the garden, and God um, kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Uh, Cain and Abel come along, Cain kills Abel, and uh, this is right after that, okay? Genesis 4, verse 25. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again. I want to know how you did that. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, sexual relation. Sexual. sexual? Okay. I was just interested. I never get to look back there, so... <laughs> Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Okay? Now, this, these next couple sentences, look at this. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Now, this is really, really interesting to me. I've read the commentaries. Some say Elohim, say, some say Yahweh, and if you're, if you're more Jewish, they say Yahweh. But, but Elohim is the, is the name that we have in this part of Scripture. It's not Yahweh. So I don't know. I don't know what the exact name was. That's not necessarily important for me in this. I, I, this is what I wonder. Because, see, we, we just kind of read that and we move on, and in the commentaries they say this began, this process, whatever. See, I, I see this... Is as a um, as a devolving moment. It's necessary, right? We're still under this context today. We worship the Lord by name, um, and we have a lot more names now because we have a lot of names that God gives us in Scripture to understand who the Lord is, and so we worship the Lord by name. And you will have the the. You will have the terminology that you use the most. We're all kind of unique in this. In fact, one of the things that I do in the journey is we talk about the names of Jesus, uh, the deity of Jesus and who he is. <clears throat> and we talk about, do you, do you use God? Do you use Lord? Do you use Spirit? Do you use Jesus um, when, you're, when you're talking to the Lord and praying? And what do those mean? When you say Lord, what does that mean? Because that's a... That's a um, that, that word has a lot of different definitions, right? I mean, not dif- that's not the right way to say it. It means all three in different contexts or all three together. So, so when, we, when we talk to God now, we're under this use the Lord, uh, worship the Lord by name. But that's not a, that's not a positive progression. That's a, actually a regression. Here's the way I can ask it to get you to think. What did Adam and Eve, what name did Adam and Eve use for God? Because this is the first time that we see that they worshipped God by name. So what was Adam and Eve doing? What were they saying? Now, obviously, I don't know the answer, but I have some ideas I want to throw out there for you. There was only three people on the planet. Two people and a God, right? Transcendent that made the planet that he's walking on. I don't necessarily think maybe that Adam and Eve even used names for God. But when he came into their, their presence, they began to worship him and adore him. Just, just because he's there. They got to do this face to face. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder when this happens and they started worshiping God by name, I wonder how Adam and Eve, the only people that had been in the garden, and they were still alive at this time. They were going to be alive a lot longer time than this for for many, many more years. I wonder what they thought when they heard people starting to worship God in a, for the first time ever, in a very detached second layer of worship mentality. Not him standing right there with you. And I don't know, I know I'm, gonna, I know I'm adding some stuff here that I, don't, I can't prove biblically. Did Adam and Eve ever hug God? I, I don't know. To me, so big and holy, 
I don't know if I would want to because maybe you just catch on fire. So I don't know. But at the same time, they intimately talked with him and walked with him through the garden every day. So you understand what I'm saying? There, there had to have been some context for way deeper levels of intimacy and relationship than we will know until we will never know until we get to eternity. So what, Adam, what did Adam and Eve call him? What did, they, what did they say to him when they talked to God and they adored him? Because I don't even think the way we look at worship even applies to them in the same way. They were walking and talking. They adored him. They just interacted with him on a, on, a, on a humble, we love you, God kind of way. And I personally believe Adam and Eve were in the garden for quite a while um, before the whole sin thing happened. There's a bunch of scripture evidence. I've proved that. I've talked about that before. But, but they hung out with God. And I, I, this is kind of one of the ways that I see this, okay? For some of you that are married, have been married, or even dating, but I don't, it makes me uncomfortable to say that dating is the same category here, but you have, you have a name or maybe a few names for your spouse, right, that no one else knows. And you would be horrified if they found out, right? There, there are some names that Linda and I call each other. In fact, uh, very often I'll, when I send her some kind of specific Valentine's card or something that's just for her, I will sign this, one of the names that she's called me over the years, I'll sign this. We started it when we were dating, I think, Did, didn't we? We were engaged, something like that. You can tell it moved her deeply. So, <laughs> I don't know. What is it again? So, <laughs> so there's a name, I'll sign that name sometimes. It's not your business. I don't want you to know, ever. Um, <laughs> there's a name that I call her. It's just between her and I. And there's some other ones too, you know. <laughs> Depends on what you're doing and what mood you're in and stuff. Depends on which name you use and kind of thing. But here's what I found. When I am, uh, when Lynn and I are not uh, doing good, we're irritated with each other or arguing or something else, we never use those names. Right? In fact, most of the time, Linda has a way of saying Scott that is different than any other time. Like, she could say Scott a thousand, but when, when she's mad and she says, Scott, I, I quiver a little bit, just a little, right? And here's when she gets really angry. Now, this is within context, because it has to be about something that I'm saying or doing that she does not like or she does not think represents God well, <laughs> okay? She calls me pastor, the only time she calls me pastor, you guys all call me pastor. She does not call me pastor unless I'm not acting like a pastor in her opinion. But here's, here's the thing that I would, I would ask you, because, guys, we, we're not in the garden. We're not standing there with him. We're not talking to God like that. But the, so there's, a, there's already a degree of separation that we now fall under because of this. And now we're using this name for God or this name for God. And you realize that the moment we start using a name, doesn't matter which one, any of the names out of the Bible for the Lord, it is very, very limited compared to who he is. And have you ever been talking to God and just worshiping, just singing, praising, praying the Spirit, doing whatever, and you just feel like you can't verbalize it properly enough? In Exodus chapter 20, Verse 1, again, this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You, you know what? This always hurts me when I read this because I feel like God is almost begging us to notice him. Do you understand the gravity of that? He's saying, I, I rescued you out of slavery. Nobody else did. In fact, I attacked all the other gods that were keeping you in slavery. I rescued you out of slavery. I'm your, I'm, I'm your everything if you'll let me be. And how many times through Scripture did he almost begs us, just serve me, just worship me, just let me be the king. I, I'm everything you're ever going to need. 
And then we go do our own thing. We, we're over here, we're over here, all this kind of stuff. It's the same way with coming back to marriage. If you say to your spouse, oh, you're beautiful, or I love you, or um, you're amazing, whatever, but you're cheating on your spouse every day, and she knows it, he knows it, those words mean nothing. They mean nothing. And I don't want to overdo this because I, I could quickly get into condemnation with this. But how often are we in here on Sunday worshiping God because we're singing words on, on the wall, but is it really in our heart? Is it coming from us? Is this really worship? And does our life match up with this? Is our life consistent with this? You must, make, you must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of image or anything of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. By the way, there's a strong resurgence in our country right now of very animistic, carve your own gods and worship that. This is a major, major thrust right now through, our, through uh, uh, spirituality in America. It has to come back to, um, uh, the term just left me. But it's, it's basically spiritism and animism all over again. There's a new name for it, but that's what's happening. The Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey me. Psalms 99 Verse 1 through 9. I think Psalms 99 is one of the better just like encapsulated scriptures that talk about this is why we worship God. It's, it's all through the Bible, obviously. It all through Psalms. It's kind of like Psalms 91 uh, gives us a, a, just an encapsulated um, uh, understanding of God's protection for us. Right? That's kind of thing. Number one, the Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. I, I've been praying this. I pray this every day, all day long when I'm sitting in the House of Representatives. I pray this constantly. When I was going up to, the, to testify about these or to present these bills, I'm praying this. And, and I pray, Jesus, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Come into this building and roar. Just roar. And roar so loud the building shakes. And bring the fear of God to these people. We see examples of this all over Scripture, right? And the guys Thursday night at my house, we were praying about this. And, and, um, and they said, and rightfully so, I embrace what they said. They said, but that's what God's got you there for is because you're the voice. And I get that. I'm not, I'm not, I, I will embrace that and I will walk with that. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I want the lion to step into that place. Not Scott's voice. I want the lion to roar. And the nations tremble. And the people tremble. And they fall on their face in fear that a holy God is going to be looking at them in fear. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow down before his feet, for he is holy. That, that's really the key. You know that. God's holy. Do you realize that the Lord will never make anyone ever bow down to him? Never. It says, exalt the Lord, bow down low before his feet, for he's holy. You, even you say, well, no, that's not true, because when we get to the judgment, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus doesn't make that happen. He doesn't make, he will never, ever make anybody bow down to him. Guys, we believe in free will. God is not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to worship him. He's not going to force you to bow down. The reason it happens at the judgment is because he is so holy, you can't stay upright. 
It's not because he makes you do something. It's not because he forces you. And this idea that I bow before, I low before his feet, I, I want to get under. I want to get underneath the Lord's feet. I don't want to, I don't want to exalt myself any above him. I had a guy years ago, 25 years ago plus, I was a youth pastor, and he said, sometimes when I'm praying, I, I, I wish I could get under the carpet because he's so holy. And I get that. That you just, just saying his name, you almost feel guilty because he's so big and he's so righteous and he's so amazing. But this is the cool thing, is he wants to walk with you in the garden. That's, that's who he is. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also called on his name. They cried to the Lord for help, and he answered them. He spoke to Israel from the pillar of cloud, and they followed the laws and decrees he gave them. O oh Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them. Look at this. But you punished them when they went wrong. We do, we do not like this in the American church today. There's no, don't ever punish me. Don't ever hold me accountable. I'm going to do my own thing. I used to think like that. Maybe not, maybe not actively, but enough passively that I still was, Lord, I, I would run away from the conviction of the Lord. I don't do that nowadays. I don't necessarily like the conviction of the Lord, but I just want to, if, if Jesus is going to take time off from running the universe to say, Scott, I think you need to change some things, straighten some stuff up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you care that much that I'd be better tomorrow than I am today. Not, not in some kind of socially accepted way, but in relationship with him. That I need this conviction. I need this relationship. I need him to punish me when I'm doing wrong. It's, we all know this, right, intuitively, but I don't think we process it. I would rather be punished by the Lord now than end up in hell forever. It's not a, it's not a good trade for me. Punish me now. Get my attention now. Even if you've got to bring some things in my world crumbling down, get my attention now. And, and having had the Lord do that many times, I think he probably spends a little more time on me than the average person. But having had him convict me and punish me and stuff years ago, I, I grew through that, and I'm different, and I'm better, and I'm stronger in him because of that. At the time, I didn't want it. But it's amazing what he can do. Exalt the Lord our God, worship him, worship and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem, for the Lord our God is holy. Romans 12, verse 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies. This is your physical bodies. I've seen so much commentary over the years on the first two verses of Romans 12 that it's, he doesn't really mean your bodies. He means your whole person and all this other kind of stuff. Yes, he does mean your whole body. I mean your whole person, but he specifically says your physical body. Why is that important? It's very important for us nowadays because we think we can just do whatever and there's no, there's no accountability or responsibility to this. That I can act however I want, I can say whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, as long as somehow, and I don't know how people justify this or, or categorize it, but as long as my heart belongs to the Lord. I don't understand that. If your heart belongs to the Lord, then why is your body acting the fool? Something's not right. Something's not connected. Um, and what it actually is, is we're deceiving ourselves. Right? We're, we're not really living for the Lord, but we say, but by heart. Oh, I love the Lord. I, he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all of he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable that the Lord finds acceptable, not that the world finds acceptable, or even the church finds acceptable, but you give yourself to the Lord, including your physical body. Let me just pick on some things since you asked. Um, we, we do so many things, but this is one that just gets me, and I see this, I see this all the time. It drives me crazy. Talk about this deep relationship with the have of God. We, that we love the Lord. We're going to, you know, our life belongs to him, all this kind of stuff. But we just cuss all the time. I see Christians all the time cussing. I don't understand that. I really, truly don't understand that. And no matter how much you would try to say, well, this, you know, it's different. That's fallen on deaf ears with me. I don't, 
I cussed like crazy when I was a teenager and when I got in the Navy. You know, I was cussed like a sailor. I was trying to fulfill that. I cussed like crazy. In 1988, I got saved, and I've never cussed a day since. Because why? If I can't even give God my, my words, how much am I giving him everything else? I can't, even, I can't even control this little hole in my face. And this is a choice. Every single person that can, here's, here's what happens to me all the time. At the Capitol, one of the guys standing there will cuss on the say, Oh, I'm sorry, preacher. Which means they know. And I've even, th- this happened one time. I was out on the golf course years ago, and this guy was just, and then finally he says to me, What do you, what do, you do for a living? I'm like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, man, pardon my French. I'm like, first, I know that it's not French. <laughs> he didn't cuss the rest of the round. His, his golf game fell apart because he was about to explode. <laughs> but he didn't cuss the rest of the Because why? We actually can control this stuff. We can control it. But we just choose not to. When do we give him our bodies? Where do we go? What we do? It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is worship. When we give him our, our day, bodies, our mouths, our minds, we're worshiping. Not to diminish what we do in here, but I think sometimes we can come in here, sing the words because they're on the, the, the part of the song, and then leave, but there hasn't been a transformation. There hasn't been a life change, and there hasn't been true worship because we're not doing it in what? Um, in spirit and truth. I'll get to that. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. This is Samuel comes to Saul. Saul's um, sacrificing the animals. And Samuel says, what are you doing? Verse 22, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or the things that you do church-wise, the obligations you have in church? Which is more pleasing, that or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of the rams. I already mentioned this, but people email me and text me and all kinds of stuff. They call my my staff and they say, staff at the Capitol, and they say, please tell Representative Bottoms to please stay in there, please continue. I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. But Friday night, after I just sat and watched these people that so much want to murder babies. It's so deep in their spirit. The whole way I'm driving home, I'm thinking, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I said a bunch of stuff. And I think it was good. And I think it was important. But we're still murdering babies. And, and I had this conversation all the way home. And I know Linda, Linda actually went with me Friday, which was huge. She sat there because I could testify, and then I could come back and sit beside her, and, and then we could make fun of people and, and <laughs> pretend like what was happening wasn't happening. And, um, and I really appreciated also Greg, Greg Lopez that ran for governor. He came and testified for every bill, and he sat right beside me the whole time. And his wife, I thought, somebody better not let her loose. She's going she's gonna to go at people. Powerful woman, powerful man that testified and just kept saying, I'm doing this for the babies. Guys, I kept saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I can't, I can't deep dip my, my hands that deep into the manure and not be changed. And the whole time God said, I'm, I've asked you to do this. You know you're going to do it. So stop whining. <laughs> Guys, do you realize how important it is for God that you just submit? Just be obedient. Just submit. 
You can do all the other stuff. You can go through all the hoops and stuff that church does, and you can claim this, and you can pray this, and you can quote this, and you can do everything. But at the end of the day, he wants you to submit to him. If you'll submit to him, he'll take care of all the rest of the stuff. And man, as human beings, we don't do that well. It's all about what we want, and this, this rebellion thing rises up within every one of us. Nobody here is, is, is free from that. And God is saying, just, just be obedient. If you're just, I, know, I know more than you. Just do what I ask. I know more than you. Just submit to my plan. I've got it in control. You just submit. And then he says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness. We, we always quote the first part, right? Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. But we don't like to get to the stubbornness. We're too stubborn to say that part. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he tells Saul, you, he has rejected you as king. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And, I, and I've taught a lot about this over the past. But to just reiterate a little bit. You cannot truly worship him in spirit and, and not be worshiping him in truth. Although we have deceived ourselves in American Christianity for so long that we can. Because what we do is we come and sing the songs. We get caught up in the emotion of the song or the music or whatever is going on with that. We get caught up in the emotion of everybody else here. But what happens is, is when we actually begin to worship him, you can't do that, truly do that, untruthfully. You think you can, but you can't. So you and the spouse have been fighting. You've got younger kids. Sunday morning on the way to church is when the fight breaks out, right? It seems like every, you're just trying to get the kids ready to go worship their heavenly father, and they don't care. And by the time you get to church, you're mad. You're mad at each other and everything else. And then you're standing there in service beside your spouse, and you're not using those little love names you've given each other. You're using names like Scott and Pastor, and you're not connecting. And then we're seeing, and all of a sudden you're like, Lord, I just surrender everything to you. And God is like, really? What we should do, now I'm going to say this like I got this all under control. What we should do is turn to our spouse and say, I am sorry, I was wrong. I was a jerk. Please forgive me. Lord, now I surrender everything to you. Right? It's so difficult for us to do that. When we've got this stuff going on at work, and we've got stuff going on in our finances, we really haven't given that stuff to God, but we're trying to say to the Lord, Lord, you, you own everything about me. God's like, then just hand me your bank statement. Everything but that, Lord. Everything well, what about that problem going on at work? Lord, I got that one. I don't need you for that. Right? When do we worship him in spirit and truth? And then he says, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So this is what I want to do. I want to take a, just a few minutes here. Not, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a plan except... I'm going to uh, just lead us in a worship song. It's a very old worship song. And um, you can stand, sit, kneel, pray, not pray. What, I, I, I don't want to put any parameters to this. Just accept that just somewhere along the way, I would like, I would suggest somewhere along the way, just say, Lord, I want to worship you with everything I am. Not just my mouth, but I want to worship you with me, with who I am.
you for pulling us in close. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve your blessings, your grace. We don't deserve any of this. But I give you me because you are you. Not because you do something for us. I give you me because you are you. You've already proven your love just by dying on the cross, Jesus. You've already proven your love. We don't deserve anything else after that. That's more than, that's, that alone is more than we deserve. So I give you me. I give you my life. I give you my agenda. I give you my, my plans, my future. Because you're the king. You're the king.
pray. Lord, we need you to intervene in our world and our existence right now. Lord, intervene in our thought process. Intervene in our world so that we see you above everything and that we just submit to you. We just submit to you. You're the king, and I submit to you. You're the, the king, and I submit to you. I don't, I don't submit to any, anything else above you. I submit to you. Jesus, bless us with your spirit. Bless us with conviction. God, help us to worship you while we're sitting at work. Help us to worship you while we're driving down the road to worship you when we're in the mountains. Help us to worship you when we're going through the, the routine and the mundane of just getting kids to school and doing this stuff. God, help us to worship you. Worship you with our bodies, our mouths, our minds, our lives. We worship you. So, before you leave, tell somebody how awesome they are. Tell somebody how amazing they are. And maybe even commit to pray for them some through the week. And then when you get out there doing the work, doing the stuff, tell somebody this week how much Jesus really loves them, how big he is and how much he loves them. God will be right there with you. It's a guarantee. He'll be walking right, right with you. Tell somebody how much Jesus loves them. So shake somebody's hand. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.